They say love is the strongest magnetic force on the planet Earth. But if this is really true, why is love such a complicated subject matter? Welcome to Speaking of Love, the podcast, and I am your host, LaToya. I created this podcast in honor of my dad, who was an acclaimed television broadcast engineer and an award-winning sports radio show host. You see, my dad was an amazing guy who achieved levels of success that most people only dream of. He was a star in the public eye, but behind closed doors, my dad endured private struggles. And on March 2nd, 2020, my dad passed away tragically. And now, life for me will never be the same. So I created this podcast as a platform for spreading love in honor of the greatest man I've ever known. My father, Herman McAlpin Jr. Hello, hello. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to Speaking of Love, the podcast, and I am your host, LaToya. I am here today for a very serious topic. As you all know, this show is dedicated to the memory of my father, who committed suicide on March 2nd of 2020. And today, this show is dedicated to any person who has ever had thoughts of suicide, who's contemplating suicide, who has even survived a suicide attempt. Today's show is going to be very serious. Today I have a beautiful lady here today by the name of Elizabeth. Elizabeth is here and she's open to talking about a loss that she endured. Her husband passed away by suicide, leaving her to raise her children all by herself. And I am truly grateful that she is here today to talk candidly about her experience and in talking about her life experience with her husband committing suicide, our hope and our prayer is that we can inspire you to have hope for the future if you're yourself contemplating suicide. So welcome, Elizabeth. She's here all the way from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Welcome to Speaking of Love, Elizabeth. Hello. How are you doing today in um, in Oklahoma? It's it's a good day. It's a good day today. We are, it's beautiful and sunny and, and it's gonna be a great day. Well, good, wonderful. Um, Today, Elizabeth, we are here to talk about your husband who passed away by suicide in September of 2020. So it's only been a short time. Uh, talk to me about your husband. How did you all meet and how did your relationship start with him? We met at work um, way back in 2000. Um, we met, we dated for a little, just a couple months really. Um, and then I got pregnant with our daughter, Lauren. She is 19 now. And um, after that, we moved in together in 2004. We were married and we had another child in 2006. Um, it was a great relationship. He was very kind, very loving, very respectful. He, he He's a good dad. He loved playing with the kids and um, he was always really good with everybody's kids. He's got nieces and nephews uh, that he also from my sister that he's also been around. Um, 
he his brother his brother and I never really got along but um him and his brother really close they went through a lot of stuff growing up together some physical some physical emotional and psychological abuse from his stepmom and and some of the people who helped to raise him um so he had a really hard childhood but he tried his best not to let it show now as you were in your relationship with William that was your husband's name William when you and William were together did you ever in a million years imagine that he would someday commit suicide were there any warning signs well before I met him whenever we were first kind of getting together he had had a serious girlfriend before I had come along and when she left he told me he had attempted suicide but you know, fate intervened and he was still with us. So he always was kind of depressed and withdrawn. You know, it, he didn't really like we'd go to the zoo and he would kind of stay home or, you know, he, he worked really hard to provide for us. But when he wasn't working, he was in, he was in bed as much as possible, you know, resting or, you know, hanging out, he'd get on the, he'd hang out on the computer, you know, he was a real homebody. He didn't, you know, he had a couple of really close friends and that was all the social activity that he, you, that he had, um, that he didn't make new friends. He didn't hang out with people he didn't know. And I know that those are, are big, you know, red flags for it, but, mm -hmm. you know, he, you know, stayed as upbeat as possible he had, as long as I had known him, he'd had a drinking problem. He did struggle with alcoholism um, quite a bit, but there were, there were signs there that I knew that it was a possibility given yeah. the right circumstances. And, you know, in the majority of suicide cases that I'm learning about is that there's always the alcoholism component to it. My father himself struggled with alcohol. And a lot of times when you mix alcoholism with depression, it's like a recipe for disaster. And it definitely contributes to suicidal tendencies. Did you notice that with your husband and the drinking? Yes. The, the worse the drinking got, the more he didn't want to live the more he got it in his head that the world would be better off without him. And the, the harder it was to convince him that, that he, and that he needed to get that help, you know, that you needed to, he needed to stop drinking and try to focus on something else. And yeah, I noticed it. Now, Elizabeth, I'm going to talk a few minutes here about some of the risk factors for suicide. The number one risk factor for an individual who will commit suicide is depression, low self-esteem, mental illness, alcoholism, substance abuse. Also, eating disorders can cause suicidal tendencies. Um, another thing I learned is that if there's a family history of suicide, Oftentimes, that can contribute to family members committing suicide as well. Um, a story about my dad, uh, he had a nephew that he pretty much raised like his own son, and that nephew committed suicide in the very same manner that my dad committed suicide back in 2003, I believe, is when my cousin passed away. And 
my dad was very devastated behind the fact that his nephew committed suicide by gunshot. And fast forward many years later, my father committed suicide in the very same manner. So there's definitely a family history component. Also, if there are individuals who self-mutilate um, cutting their arms or um, causing blood to come from. I know I have a, a friend in my life. He likes to pick uh, sores on his body and make himself bleed. Another risk factor is prior suicidal attempts. And a lot of times when people lose a very important relationship, like if a girlfriend breaks up with you or if your mom passes away or someone you really love, those can be risk factors for suicide as well. Have you experienced any of those with William? Yeah, um, like I said, there was the attempt before I met him when his girlfriend of three years had broken up with him recently. And what I think was probably a big part of the catalyst was after, cause we separated because I didn't, I couldn't go through. I was getting sucked into the rabbit hole that he was in already. And if, you know, he couldn't make the changes. I couldn't be there anymore. And I couldn't keep my kids in that environment. You know, I just, I could feel myself getting sucked into that same rabbit hole. So after we separated in 2016, a couple of years later, his very best friend, since they were like seven, they've been inseparable. He passed away. He had a heart condition. He was actually the time we got with him was all bonus time. His heart condition was rare. And the treatments that they gave him as a child were, you know, experimental at the time. Um, and when he, after he passed away, he was his sounding board, his person he went to when he was having trouble, his, his, I mean, he was his best friend. And after he passed away, that's really when the decline really started. Um, mm. And so I do know that that did play a factor, but no. yes, that, that between the separation and then uh, a little bit of empty nest syndrome when our daughter turned 18 because she was working and so she was working closer to where I was living so she was staying with me more and him less and so just a lot of different relationships changing I think really kind of affected him. Now you've mentioned that you have four children. How Two. old Two children. How old were the children when your husband passed away? My daughter was 18 months or 18 years old and my son was 13. Okay. And now no, how, how I'm sorry, he hasn't had his birthday yet. I'm sorry, he was 14. 14. So how has this impacted the children? What noted what differences have you noticed with the children now that dad's no longer with us? Um my daughter, well, she was next to kin, and that was a lot of responsibility for her just entering adulthood. This was kind of her first introduction into it, and it, it she's mostly angry still. Mostly mm. she's still angry. Um, she also has some depression and anxiety, and I think it really opened her eyes to her her condition and how she knew she needed to get some help because of it. Like she knew that if she didn't get counseling and she didn't stay on top of it, it could be a thing where she ended up in the same situation. Mm -hmm. um, my son has Asperger's 
And I think that that has shielded him from a lot of the pain. And I had never, you know, yes, he's really smart and there are upsides to um, autism, but shielding him from feeling that emotional loss, I think was, I'm, it's done him wonders. He does really well. He struggled with school um, at first, but he is, I mean, he's doing okay. Okay. Yeah, they still have have times where they, you know, just stop. And, you know, the holidays, when those rolled around, it was really hard on my daughter because she was, you know. So talk to us about the days prior to his suicide. What was life like for, for you and for William and the children before this happened? The kids, about two months before he actually committed suicide. He had um, picked up the kids and the next day he texted me in the middle of the night. He tried to call and then he texted me in the middle of the night and said that he, you know, was in the yard with a gun and he couldn't go on. And then I got another text from him again before I woke up saying, I can't do this. I can't let the kids down. And that was the last time that the kids stayed at his house because I couldn't until he got help, I couldn't do it. And I didn't want to trigger him at that point in time by calling the police or anything like that to do something desperate because the kids were there. You know, Mm -hmm. I didn't want him to think, Oh my gosh, you know, I got to, I didn't know his state of mind well enough. I had my daughter. She was like, well, he probably just got drunk and got on a rant. And, and she was like, I'll let you know if we need to be picked up. And so I let them stay the next couple of days and everything seemed fine. About three weeks before he did it, he texted me while I was at work and the kids weren't with him and said that he was getting ready to kill himself. And I told him, I was like, you need to stop with this. I'm, I'm going to call the police. And I called the police and he texted me, you know, don't call the police. If you call the police, I'll be on the news. I'll be, you know, I, I won't go out alone. I'll make them do it. And so, of course, I had to relay this information to the police. They had a hour long kind of standoff with them where they had him on the phone and were, were talking him down. And he convinced the police that I overreacted to something that he said. And so they left and he went on to work. He was mad at me, but not as mad as he should have been if he wasn't serious. Um. A week later, he told his boss that he couldn't go on and that he was he was going to end his own life. And his boss had his human resources department call the police again. And they went out there and, you know, they called me and told me what was going on because they had my name on file from the week before when they'd been out there. And um, so they went in. And while, and he wasn't there, they sent the paramedics in to recover his body and he wasn't there. So the police went ahead and went in and they took whatever guns they could see. And then while they were in there, he drove by, saw them all in the house and went the other way. Like he avoided that situation. And then he called me later and he was like, they took all, you know, they took my guns. Can they even do that? I was like, well, you know, And we had that 
that night we had a good long talk about him getting some help and, and reaching out to the counseling service that the police had referred to him. And, you know, he taught, he talked to them a little bit and I told him to use those resources because they were there because he was really concerned. He didn't have the insurance. I tried to talk him into going to an inpatient clinic and he wasn't having it. He was afraid he'd lose his job. And I told him that that was probably one thing that would secure his job because they can't much like drug addiction and alcohol addiction. Once your job is aware of that mental illness, they can't fire you because of it, but they can you know, tell you, Hey, if you don't get treatment, we'll have to let you go. But he didn't do that. And then about a, a uh, I don't even think it was a week later. No. Cause that was a Wednesday. And then Monday I woke up, I had six messages. Um, one about someone taking the last $600 in his bank account. And then there was another one about giving our daughter his car and where the paperwork was for that and that he had packaged up the computer at his house for our son and that um, his body was in the garage. There wasn't a follow-up text, so I was confident that he had actually gone through with it. I called the police and met them over there, but they wouldn't let me go inside because of the, pre the previous history. They wouldn't go inside. They wouldn't let me go inside. They told me to give it a couple of days. Um, well, I, I, I wasn't going to wait a couple of days. I could, I could tell that, that he wasn't, his body might've been in there, but I could tell he wasn't. Mm. I came back after work and I pulled up and his car was still there. Well, he was supposed to go to work that day. So already I, you know, I was like, I'm just going to go in. I called a friend to come meet me over there. We were going to go inside, and if he wasn't in his bed, I was just going to call the police and tell him. But his brother showed up, and he and was just like, let's get this over with. So we went in there, and he wasn't in his bedroom, and he wasn't in any of the other rooms in the house. <coughs> but his brother didn't know what he had told me about being in the garage. And as we were coming down the hall, the garage door was at the end of the hall before it turned. And he put his hand on the knob and before I could open my mouth to tell him that not to do that, because neither one of us needed to see it, I knew. And, uh, and he had hung himself. Wow. Wow. And what we didn't learn until later was that he had also shot himself in the head. But they couldn't tell that until after they got him down and, and were able to examine him because it was a small caliber gun. And we, you know, we just kind of went outside. I, I don't remember a lot. I remember not being able to breathe. And I remember his brother punching the walls and the hood of his car. You know, I remember crying. I remember the neighbor across the street had had his young son out and they were in the front yard and they knew why we were there because they'd seen the cops there, you know, three times now. They knew why we were there. I, I remember watching them go, you know, seeing them go back into their house. And I mean, it was just kind of a blur after that. It was, you know, my friend got there right as we were coming out of the house and she, you know, 
hugged me. She tended to both of us very well. His brother and I never got along, and I. Yeah. Yeah. So, Elizabeth, been, I know it's been, it's been very tough, and I and I think it, what what makes it harder is the fact that you found him in that condition. So that there is an image that's going to be in your head yeah. for probably for the rest of your life. I know for my father, it was described to me the way that he took his life. And I often have nightmares about his final moments on earth of him walking to the bed, getting in the bed, putting the gun to his head and letting the trigger go. You know, that's an image that will remain with me for the rest of my life. And I have nights where I'm drifting off to sleep and I can envision him walking to his bed and getting ready to end his life. And I tell you, if any person is watching this, any person who's listening to this, if you're contemplating suicide, if you're considering ending it all, just know that suicide only hurts the people who love you the most? Elizabeth and I, we're here today and we have to struggle and suffer through this for the rest of our lives. And the person is no longer with us. My dad is sleeping in his grave. Elizabeth's husband, William, he's resting in peace. They don't know the struggle and the pain that they've put on our hearts. So please know that suicide is a very difficult act. In that moment, the suicide, the depression, the alcohol is telling you you're not worthless. Kill, you're worthless. Kill yourself. The world is better off without you. But please know that those words are not true because this man, William, left behind a wife, four children, beautiful, two beautiful children, a wife, and they're left here to bear the burden of him not being here anymore. And what I do know about life is that we have problems but just know that they won't last forever. Whatever we're facing is not permanent. Everything in life is impermanent and it's not gonna last forever. Elizabeth, how has this impacted you? How has your life changed since William's passing away? Well, I know there's the emotional afterfall, the I didn't, because of how hard I fought for the couple of months before he actually did it, I don't have the, I wish I could have done more, the guilt. I don't feel like I have as much guilt because I know that I did more than he did to try to, you know, I was filling out third party statements and, you know, my daughter and I were looking into having him committed. You know, we did as much as we possibly could have done. Um, so I don't have quite as much guilt as I know a lot of survivors do. I yes, don't I have, have guilt. Yeah. yeah, I, I, I left when I moved out, when we separated, it was because I didn't want to find his body or I didn't want to, the kids to come home from school and find his body. I, you know, when, when I left, that was a big part of it. And, you know, there I was anyway. And mostly the fear, the failure, failure is a big, is a big emotion that I felt. 
you know, nobody likes to fail at anything, but this was important. And I couldn't, I couldn't save him. Mm -hmm. And I know that deep down inside, I know that I couldn't have, but I, I do feel like, you know, I put my all into it and it wasn't enough, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, so that, that's a big feeling that I have. And, you know, I've got some PTSD from the whole thing. I've got, you know, when a fire truck drives by, because that's who showed up first when we called 911, the fire truck came lights and sirens. And now that I, I freeze, I panic when I hear that. Um, I, I'm very start. I'm startled very easily. I, I'm, I'm mean sometimes. I'm just mean to coworkers and, and people that I shouldn't be mean to. Um, yeah, Elizabeth, so you know, that's all a part of the grieving process and yeah. everything that you've described is a normal part of it. So just know that what you're going through is what you would, what you're supposed to go through considering the level of trauma, the level of hurt. And you've, you've said it, how you try to help him, how you try to be there for him and stop him and be an advocate for him. So just know that what you're experiencing, it's normal and that's, it's going to be okay. And I just, I admire your bravery for you to come on. You and I connected through a suicide awareness group that we belong to. And I reached out to you and you're here. You're standing in your truth and you're being brave. And actually what you're doing is you're helping other people who may be contemplating suicide or helping someone who has lost someone to suicide because they look at you, Elizabeth, they see your strength. And from your strength, they can gain their own strength. So thank you so much for being here to talk about William today. Thank you for having me. I just, I just wish that there was more help readily available for people like William and, and your father who, you know, it, it's so hard to admit that you need help. And it's almost hard to get that help sometimes. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, unfortunately, with the depression, you know, it gets to a point where you don't have the mental faculties to get yourself the help. So as soon as that depression sinks in, as soon as you think it's more than just a, a, uh, a bad week, definitely reach out, talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. uh, Elizabeth, um, if there's someone watching right now who is contemplating suicide, they're facing a tough time in their lives and they just don't want to be here anymore, what advice would you give them? How would you tell them to cope without giving up? Just remember that, that even when they're not the nicest to you or, you know, they don't shower you with gifts or appreciation there are there are people who love you there are people who care that you're here and there are people who will be devastated if you're not um they say that every suicide has six immediate survivors that are deeply and profoundly impacted and i've seen it go beyond that it's mm -hmm. not just six you know, you never know 
who else is out there that that is just you may not realize how much they love you and mm -hmm. they didn't you know and they're going to be left to wonder why and 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 what they did wrong or what they could have done more or it's just it's incredibly difficult because I'm because while I knew what was going on with William his his own brother didn't like he had no idea when he showed up he had no idea that he'd been going through this and I can't imagine how he feels right now or his mother or the friends that he talked to occasionally but never really reached out to regarding you know his hurt you know and and tell someone if you're hurting don't be afraid to tell someone you're hurting the people who love you will tell you if you're hurting enough you know or too much they'll tell you if it's a problem if it's something that you should talk to somebody about they will let you know mm -hmm. if they think I know some people, they're happy-go-lucky, and it surprises everybody when they commit suicide. But, yes. And that, I don't know that there's any way to, you know, to get help for those people. But if you're one of those people who puts on a brave face and pretends to be happy when you're actually struggling and suffering, don't put on the brave face. You don't have to. Everybody struggles and everybody that you love and that loves you will pick you up. They'll help you. you and you know, Elizabeth, um, oftentimes I know from my father, he used humor as a way to mask his pain. So my dad was, he would crack all kinds of jokes and he was always happy go lucky. But I realize now that my father used humor as a way to mask his pain. One example of that is my dad, if he was having a stressful day, he would call me on the phone and he would say, hey, LaToya, can you show me where the Ambassador Bridge is? And I would go, <laughs> why? Why do you want to know where the Ambassador Bridge is? Well, you know, I had a stressful day and I'm ready to jump. And so we'd laugh about it. And, you know, that was his thing. Oh, I'm ready to jump off the bridge. But now I realize that that humor came from somewhere. He wasn't just joking. That was something that he wanted to do. When things got rough, he wanted his life to be over. He wanted to, quote, unquote, jump off the bridge. Mm -hmm. And true enough, he did it. And in, in essence, he did. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes people use humor to mask pain. And I wish I had known that at the time. But um, the alcohol numbed the pain. The humor masked the pain. And um, here we are today. Well, and get that diagnosis. That's the thing is that... Um, I couldn't get him to go to counseling, get that diagnosis, get the medication. Um, he went, he did a little bit of counseling after we first separated. And he, I mean, the uptick, cause I was worried he was going to do it then when I moved out, but he, you know, he talked to a therapist and he got, she gave him some antidepressants and for a year and a half there, he was doing really well, mm -hmm. but you just, I understand that the fear, and I know it's also very prevalent in men who are, yes. it's, yes, it's, we're men, you know, this life is hard and, and, and it's not as socially accepted for a man to go to therapy and, yes. 
And so I know that that can also be kind of a, a thing that stops. And that's why the suicide rate among middle-aged men is so high. Yes, it is. And it shows here. I have some information here, Elizabeth. It says that every two hours and 11 minutes, a person dies by suicide, a male, mostly males under the age of 25, will die every two hours and 11 minutes. But listen at this, Elizabeth, by the time we end this broadcast today, we've been on now for about 35 minutes. By the time we end this broadcast throughout the United States, 14 people will have died by suicide by the end of this broadcast today. So this is definitely a public health crisis. It definitely is. Yeah, I mean, you compare that to, to COVID. I mean, it's too many. It's mm -hmm. too many. And, and unfortunately, the perpetrator is the victim and they unfortunately have to want to help themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so yes, hard they do. on the people left behind. Well, Elizabeth, I really appreciate you for being here. I love your bravery. I know that you have dedicated your life to standing up to suicide, just as I have. And you have your children that you're taking care of. Please continue to stay on this path. Let's stay connected. Let's stay in our group and let's support each other because unfortunately, as I've mentioned earlier before this broadcast, and we're going to have more people joining our suicide awareness group. It's, it's going to happen. And we have to work as hard as we can to put a stop to it. And I'm just, I'm so thankful that you were here to help me spread my message today. And it's a difficult subject matter. Um, no matter how you look at it, it's very difficult. I know for my dad, I carry a bit of shame and embarrassment because mm -hmm. my father didn't just commit suicide, but he killed his wife moments before killing himself. And I don't have permission from her family to publicly speak about her. But what I will say is that his wife was a beautiful person and she loved him and she did nothing to deserve that, nothing at all. So I'm just thankful that I can come here and deliver this message to people around the world. And if I could just say one person, one person from what happened to my dad, if I can prevent that, then my intention is, has been achieved here today. Elizabeth, is there anything else that you'd like our viewers and listeners to know before we conclude our interview today? Just take care of yourself. Physically and mentally, you just have to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. It's unfortunately, it's not always easy to do and we're busy people and, and, but you have to take care of yourself and support groups. I will say that support group has, it's done wonders. It's and also, I haven't given out the number, um, the suicide awareness hotline number. If anyone here needs help, it's 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-TALK. Please call that number if you're in need of help. And they're there for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you, Elizabeth. It's been an honor having you. And um, let's stay connected. I would definitely like definitely. to do a follow-up with you. You're doing very well considering the circumstances. I don't, I don't even know 
if I would be alive today had I found my father in that condition. So for the fact that you found William and you're here to talk about it and you're going to be okay. And um, I appreciate you for being here. And this is going to conclude my 47th episode of Speaking of Love. I do have a short video of my dad. My father loved public speaking. He was a radio TV broadcast engineer. And a few months before he died, his uncle passed away. And at the funeral of his uncle, my dad got up and he said a few words about his uncle. So we're going to exit the podcast today with a video of my dad speaking at his uncle's funeral a few days before his, um, be a few months before he passed away. So um, thank you, Elizabeth. And I'll be back here, everyone, next Saturday for another episode of Speaking.